relax and use your hands to feel where the joints are and where the the different cuts lie and really just kind of let that direct you and it's amazing when you do that if you worry less and just really kind of get your hands in there and really look at what you're doing it's it is actually quite straightforward this is the crackling i'm anthony huckstep For many in the hospitality industry, food is much more than just sustenance. For Alex Herbert, it's always been a means of connection to the produce she uses and to the people she cooks for and cooks with. Alex, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Huck. And you? I'm good. It's good to have you on the show. I've got, Thank you. I've got a question for you straight off the bat. Oh, what's what I'm here for? Well, well, you're, <laughs> you're renowned for bird cow fish. Oh, no pork. That's right. <laughs> Where's the pig? Well, yeah, I don't know. I think it just, you know, it's all about the sort of the phonetics and the, the rhythm of it. But um, I think it just sort of set the the stream of thought. Bird, cow, fish, and then you could just keep running with it. Yeah. Well, it didn't stop you from um, doing incredible pork dishes through your career. Um You've, you've done all sorts of things, but some of your favourite moments I know talking to you off air is, is cooking with um, people and sharing food. And you've done, you've done that so many times. Do you have any sort of stories um, where that sort of really touched you doing that sort of thing? Um, like you say, there's been lots of times. So, you know, luckily um, the industry always has lots of festivals, whether it's the Noosa Festival or SIF or Crave or all those types of things, which were always about, you know, obviously focusing on um, individual chefs, whether they be international or from Australia, but also lots of collaborative events. Um, and other events also, like Slow Food, um, we did a, a dinner at Bird Cowfish with Sophie Zalikar and um, Jared Ingersoll and um, Vincent from WA, a chef, WA chef, and that was to welcome Carlo Petrini to Australia. And that was pretty huge. And um, the the four of us chefs had actually all been to Terra Madre at one point or another. And I'd actually just been the year before with Sophie, actually. And um, and that was a very, very special event because we were collaborating together together and cooking beautiful, beautiful menu, which was all based on on um, two pigs. Um, we each had different parts of the pigs, although I did dessert. There you go, bird cowfish dessert. Um, and, um, and that was extremely special because it was just wrapped up in so much more than just us or the diners or the meal. You know, it was about sort of the importance of food and, and preserving heritage, whether it be the Wessex Saddleback pigs or or foods that are grown and that was really really special and also it's just lots of fun and you get into a kitchen and cook with other chefs who are you know your mates take us back into the kitchen for that event was there was there pressure involved given you'd all been there and Carlo was here and um, tell us about what it was like in the kitchen 
Um, yes. <laughs> there's actually, there's actually, funnily enough, and I sent it to Jared not so long ago, there's actually a YouTube video that was done of the night. And oh my God, I look so young, but I also look just so unkempt and stressed. Um, because, um, uh, you know, I mean, cooking for someone like Carlo Petrini, and the room was full of all of these other Sydney chefs like Sean Moran and Kylie Kwong and um, Matt Lindsay and all these people that it was just like, oh, my God, talk about pressure. I mean, the worst, it, you know, people talk about, oh, I hate cooking for chefs. Well, imagine what it's like being a chef cooking for chefs. <laughs> it's like there's nowhere, there's nowhere to hide. So, um, so that was amazing. But it was also just beautiful because the food all came together and everybody had their own different components. Sophie did a beautiful brawn using the hocks and the head and the cheeks and the trotters and um, uh, Jared did a ragu using a uh, hand-cut shoulder. Um, Vincent did the porchetta. Um, and so also just that whole, not only we were collaborating to put, you know, f- different courses together, the fact that it all came from these two pigs that had been grown by Michael Croft, who was a heritage pig farmer, is a heritage pig farmer in um, in the ACT, um, who'd also been at Terra Madre the year before. So there was just so many threads going through the room that everybody was connected in one way or another to, you know, this this other lovely thing that's bigger than all of us. Take us through that process of collaboration with other chefs. Is it is it challenging, or do you just um, is it is the language easy with food? Um. If you mean organising the event with other chefs. <laughs> so that one wasn't too bad because we were only, there was only four of us and I was one of them. So there was only, you know, three other people. So that's that's fairly easy to manage. But I also did this event with um, with Joanna Saville and, and um, Australian Pork where we brought Fergus Henderson out to Australia. And that was in 2009, I think, as well. Yeah, it was in October 2009. And we did a – Bird Cow Fish did a special dinner with Fergus, um, but then we also did organise the launch, which involved Fergus cooking a couple of pigs with Margot um, as, at the centre stage. But then I got 12 other chefs each to <laughs> so that took that that was a lot that was that was quite challenging because um it's funny you know chefs cook and that involves recipes but trying to get recipes out of chefs is really really hard um bless them all and I talk about that because I am one of those people so <laughs> I know I've I've been at the other end of it when people have been going oh my god I wish you'd just send me that recipe um but but that was amazing and there was 12 of us and it was really a tribute kind of to Fergus and the idea was um, to do um, like it was it was a barbecue so the idea was to do this amazing big barbecue but what we also asked the chefs to do was to cook a dish that was um, you know also a dish that they had created on their own menus in their own restaurants that was inspired by Fergus but by Fergus and his whole nose to tail philosophy and it was an amazing event so how do you feed you know hundreds of people out in the open down at Piermont so we came up with this kind of concept that we had each chef each chef had a table that sat 10 people and each chef was at the the head of every table with a little table where they would prepare the food and they fed 10 people 
every 30 minutes over the course of two and a half hours. So people, it was amazing. People lined up and they didn't know who which chef they were going to get. And then every 30 minutes um, the, or every 20 minutes, the table would be cleared and reset. And then another 120 people would be filtered through to sit down at that particular table for that particular chef. And they would cook that cook that whatever that dish was that they were doing and the dishes were all obviously all pork I did blood cake on sourdough with scrambled eggs um Jeremy's throat bless did pig's head terrine um Colin Fastnage did piggyish schnitzel so you get the same there were all these dishes that were using all different parts of the pig and it was just so special it was exhilarating who were, who were the chefs at the time? Do you, I mean, 12 is a lot to remember. Um, it, was a, it was a while ago. So there was Jared Ingersoll, Matthew Kemp, Jeremy Strode, as I mentioned, Justin North, uh, Marty Boats, Kylie Kwong, Warren Turnbull, Colin Fastnage, uh, Paul McGrath. Remember he had Orchelan in um, Leichhardt? Um, Lauren Murdoch and uh, Sean Connolly and myself. Wow. Well, I mean, they they were chefs of that era, weren't they, really? I mean, they were the, the, the big chefs of Sydney. I mean... That's what, right. But they were all there because they loved Fergus. You had a you had an event at Bird Cow Fish, as you mentioned, with Fergus. Um, do you have any stories of, of the time that you spent with him? So, when, when we were planning all of this, um, we, uh, you know, word got out and um, Pat Norse came by and he said, um, you might need this. And he dropped in a bottle of Fernet Brunker to bird cow fish for us to have behind the bar because, of course, Fergus is famous for his nose to tail, but he's also really... Um, people that know him knows that know that he likes his um, Fernet Brunker and he's got in his one of his books, he's got the uh, Dr. Dr. Henderson's Cure for Hangover, which is Fernet Brunker and, um, you know, uh, another another um, another liquor that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and when we were actually at the barbecue um, on the Saturday morning, I've got pictures where um, Fergus is holding up the bottle of Fernet, it was Fernet Brunker. It was a bit early for me, but... Um, um, but you know, it's a good digestive, <laughs> and um, yeah. Anyway, so that was funny. That was yeah. That was something I didn't. I learned something about Fergus that day when Pat Norse dropped off the Fernet Bronco. <laughs> um, nose to tail cookery was a real feature of of what you did. It was really using everything to the nth degree. Do you remember the first time you broke down a pig and and what it was like? Um, I don't. Well, breaking down animal, I mean, whole animals, um, and I can't remember if the exact time that I first broke down a pig, but there's something um, kind of grounding about it. I mean, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, know where your food comes from, and but, you know, to take it to that nth degree of knowing where on the body of an animal every part comes from and the intricacies of how the whole animal is joined together. And I think the thing that I learned from doing it the first time and not being a butcher and actually not having had very much experience at doing that was to just kind of relax and use your hands to feel where the joints are and where the the different cuts lie and really just kind of let that 
direct you and it's amazing when you do that whether it's a, a, a pig or a lamb or even even when you're boning out a chicken um if you if you worry less and just really kind of get your hands in there and really look at what you're doing it's it is actually quite straightforward that event that you mentioned sort of really sort of explored the whole sort of beast what, what's been some of the cuts that you've championed over the years in in the venues that you've had um I've always used um, lots of shoulder um, and in terrines. We pretty much always had a terrine on it, bird cowfish in Surrey Hills, and that was something that I really got into and made a lot of. And particularly when Colin Selwood, um, who's now got the Cottage Scone um, up Newcastle Way, was working for me, he really loved that. So he kind of went to town on that and became my master terrine, or he already was a master terrine maker, but, you know, he really took that to a whole new level. Um, I think the cut that we did a lot of which is quite funny because it's really kind of a prime cut not not you know more of what we used to call secondary cuts but the pork loin which which I loved it was very very easy to do from a restaurant service point of view because you could do smaller portions of it we always roasted it so that it was a a piece for two so that it didn't dry out and wasn't too small of a piece or even larger pieces for bigger services and then we'd just cut it off um but the thing I really got into when doing that though was the brining part of pork and of course you know hams and all of that sort of stuff have been brined forever um and sometimes you know adversely pumped but that's when I really started reading um a lot more about that and particularly using um brining recipes from Judy Rogers book from Zuni Cafe and that just kind of I mean you take a you take a good pig you know like a good heritage pasture raised and finished on pasture pig and then you brine it and then you roast it gently and then you rest it it's it's I mean I even did it last night with a piece of Melanda Park pork and it's just like oh my god this is just so good you know it's so good and so yeah that excitement of taking something you know essentially is just a pork loin but then you know with a little bit of love and a few different processes across a couple of days and care um it's just perfect You've um, mentioned a couple of different farmers there, and that was a real feature of, of your whole career is connecting with um, producers and farmers. Do you, do you have any stories of the connections with, with pig farmers at all? Um, so when I think it was probably around the time that, you know, I'd met Michael Croft in Terra Madre and we'd used his pigs for um, both the Fergus dinner and then, of course, the Carlo Petrini dinner, and I, you know, was – asking Michael if he could supply me with Wessex Saddleback and he couldn't because he was really quite a small producer and in actual fact he didn't need to worry about, you know, restaurants too much, although I think he did supply restaurants around the Canberra region. Um, so I, you know, heard that Matthew Evans had moved to Tasmania and was going to be a pig farmer. And so I was like, great, well, you know, I, I, I know him. <laughs> I worked with him for two weeks at Paramount back in the day. And um, so I got in touch with Matthew and he said, look, I can't help you, but there's a guy down here called Guy, a guy called Guy, who is um, um, farming heritage pigs in um, the northwest of Tasmania called Mount Norman Farm. So I got in touch with Guy and he was 
it's, you know, just starting out and quite small at that stage. But we started getting his heritage pig sent to us at Bird Cowfish in Surrey Hills. Um, and we'd get different cuts, but particularly his ham, which we used in our Crooked Madams. And, um, but we also used them on the, the breakfast dish. So instead of doing, um, you know, poached eggs and bacon, we'd do poached eggs and we'd take a fat slice of the Mount Yonaman ham and just pan fry it and serve it with the poached eggs with the Montpellier butter, which is traditionally, you know, that steak butter, um, Parisian steak butter, and we'd serve that as one of our breakfast dishes. And um, so that was really lovely because we were really – seeking out people that were doing something special and it was a bit of a hassle. I mean, you know, who gets their pork sent up from Tasmania? But we did and it was really worthwhile. It was great. You mentioned uh, before about when you're collaborating and doing big events, um, the challenges of bringing everyone together and, and pulling it together. But take us to that sort of moment when you are sort of cooking together. How, do, how does it make you feel and being part of that process? Well, you're usually pretty high on adrenaline. Because <laughs> there's a, usually either really other, really important people sitting at the table, or a lot of them, which means that you know you really need to to be on your game. Um, uh, look, I keep my my youngest son has now gone into hospitality, and it's funny because you know I've been not cooking professionally for for many years, and I've been in the corporate world, and you know more in the strategy side of, side of things. But his, um, he's 22 and his passion for um, not just he's more front of house, he's more, you know, wine, he's doing his wet and cocktail making, but his passion for the learning around that, but then also just the fun of the family and the environment and that camaraderie and people working really well together Um it's really reminded me and it's really put a smile on my face and reminded me of why hospitality in this industry is so special because the people are really interesting. They're really smart. They're really passionate. And so when you get a bunch of people together that share that same energy, um, you just bounce off each other and it's incredibly sustaining actually and and rewarding. It's like yeah. you, you're with your tribe. We've, uh, we've had you on uh, one of our sibling podcasts, Deep in the Weeds, where we sort of meandered through um, some of your career and some of the highlights. But what, what, what were the real sort of pivotal sort of turning points um, that set you on the path that you went on as a chef? Well, I dropped out of university and got a job in a cafe called Cafe Troppo in Glebe for working for Ken Bergen, who's gone on to be a bit of a hospo legend um, in a hospitality management way but three months into that I actually got <laughs> I got offered a position as an apprentice inverted commas at Burrell Waters so um I never actually went to TAFE um but I did do you know my I did do two and a half or so years there and um Oh, what can I say? Working for Gay Bilson and Yanni Karitsis. I mean, that really just kind of um, triggered a, a chain of reactions where, you know, first of all, I, I'd been introduced to food writers by my mother who always had Elizabeth David and um, Margaret Fulton and Robert Carrier and, you know, Julia Child and everything on the bookshelves. Um, but that 
Brower experience and hearing Yanni and Gay and seeing the recipes that appeared out of all these books by Claudia Roden and Michella Hazan and, um, you know, that really got my curiosity going. That's kind of stayed with me forever. But I think, you know, <clears throat> once you've, when you've worked in a place like that and then you go and look for another job or you've met other people that have come through, like Maggie Beer was at Burrell Waters, um, and so I'd met her when she'd come to lunch one day, but then I went to South Australia after I finished up at Burrell Waters and um, – and while I was there, I thought, oh, you know, I'll see if I can go and see Maggie. And then, yes, I got a job working with Maggie um, for the last six months or so of the pheasant farm. And then in that last month or so at the pheasant farm, Chris and Margie, who had Paramount at the time, came to lunch at the pheasant farm and offered me a job because I was moving back to Sydney because I was pregnant. And so, and then Chris and Margie knew David Thompson really well. And so when Sailor's Tie was opening, so you can see it's just this, you know, trajectory of um, of uh, circumstance and relationships that you develop that, you know, I've been really, really lucky to just sort of jump those stones along the way. Yanni Christus um, affected many in the industry. Tell us about uh, his manner in the kitchen and, and what you took from your time with him. Uh, Yanni is so calm and meticulous. Uh, and you can see that in, you know, many of the dishes that he created and perfected because he didn't just create a dish. He would just keep perfecting it and perfecting it. And that was the thing about Barara, unlike, Today, you know, so many restaurants, there's a there's a hunger for people to change their menus all the time, which is fantastic. But, you know, at Burrell, we had four menus a year, you know. Um, it was pretty much – and so you really you, – I remember starting off making a bavoir and by the end of it I felt like I'd pretty much nailed it, but it did take three months. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and so I learnt that from Yanni. It's just like that whole, you know, just constantly looking at it and seeing how you can make things better. Um a strong memory of Yanni would be, um, you know, when because we worked those long days and only three days a week, um, at 11 o'clock when, you know, the final desserts would go out, the kitchen would be scrubbed or cleaned down and we'd continue cooking. But quite often Yanni would leave Liz to do any of the main course prep, but he'd be sitting there at the kitchen and repairing the, you know, the mix master or the – because he's an electrician technician and, you know, He'd be pulling apart these pieces of equipment and putting them back together and into perfect working order. Um, so, yeah, you know, that sort of meticulous attention to detail that he also applied to to his his food and cooking. Bird cowfish had uh, many incarnations. And your food's, you know, got this DNA in it that you can tell it's it's an Alex Herbert dish, um, but it's not sort really? of... Really? <laughs> well, it's not, it's not sort of defined and it's not a visual thing it's it's more of an experience you know as an owner and a, and a chef when you created bird cow fish how did you land on the sort of food that that you cooked and the direction you went in with the food um uh, it wasn't a conscious thought first up um i think i like i said i'd worked with very very good chefs in very good restaurants I think probably the big turning point and in influence on my own style of cooking was Maggie Beer. Um, and uh, I think probably because she really wasn't, 
concern with how the food looked on the plate. That's not to say that it didn't look good, but she was absolutely focused, you know, 200% on the flavours and the combinations and adding this little bit of this here to to make that and building those flavours. So it's it was much more... Um, cooking on the go, so to speak, you know, um, everything just kind of evolved. So um, I think that really kind of took me back to that whole um, cooking food that just really tastes good. Yes, she wanted to look nice and beautiful and present well, which has been something also, you know, that I'd always, you know, like to to do. Um and then I think that combined with Marty Boats, who as well, you know, is just so flavour-driven and taste, 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 and, of course, you know, David Thompson. Um, I think that's um, that's what drove me. And then I think as as a chef, you know, or even anyone, I mean, some people develop their dress style and stick with the things that they like or, you know, these are the books they read. And I think for me... My food or my dishes, you know, probably had some, you know, re- repetitive or, or constant flavour profiles and favourite ingredients and, you know, like, you know, currant soaked in veg juice or prune, tea-soaked prunes or things like that that just kind of pop up and, you know, you you, you go back to those, those ingredients and those flavour profiles that you like that potentially can, you know, define what, what your food starts to look and taste like over a period of time. As you mentioned a bit earlier, um, more recently you've been sort of in the corporate world and um, looking at sustainability all within food as well. It's what, what sort of lessons or advice could you share for those owning restaurants and cafes these days sort of um, with the wealth of experience that you've had both in the corporate world and in the restaurant world? Um, um, flavor, uh, often comes through being very careful about not to waste anything. (laughs) I was making, um, a mushroom sauce, Joel was making a mushroom sauce yesterday and, you know, I pulled out this little bit of leftover chicken from the day before and there were the juices there and I roasted the pork and added some, um, some water to the bottom so that it didn't dry out and we just kept adding all of that back into the mushroom sauce and it just tasted so delicious and I just said to him you know you you can write a recipe but in that recipe how do you say oh and take your leftover juice scraps from the day before and you know it's not going to be there and people are going to freak out um so I think that whole um you know, looking at how you can use everything. I mean, it, it's it's being spoken about a lot now and people are much more aware of it, but I think that's something that is forever present in the back of my mind. You know, the parsley stalks, if they don't go in the compost, get chopped up finely and they just make something taste better. Um, from a business point of view, I think, um, uh, gosh, from a business point of view, I think it's really, really important to know how to write and read a P&L. <laughs> and if I'd worked for Ken Bergen longer, <laughs> I probably would have been better at that sooner. Um, but, you know, it's it's that fine line between hospitality and generosity and cooking beautiful food and not compromising um, and being a sustainable business. 
and understanding, um, you know, where you spend that money and how you spend that money and, your, you know, your, your portioning but also what you're charging for it, which is obviously the real challenge, you know, the customer, what the customer's prepared to pay. Um, so that's, that's a, you know, a massive challenge to navigate. Um, but I don't think that... Um, I think when you when you compromise um, when when you put the costs first and compromise the quality of the food and all that type of stuff, I think that's a real danger zone um, because the ultimate investment in what you're cooking and providing um, won't necessarily pay off if it doesn't taste good and isn't value for money. I know you're still involved in sort of big food events and all sorts of things these days, um, but. Uh, more recently, you launched a platform online to reconnect or connect further with with home uh, professional cooks as well, and and share your ethos of seasonal cooking. What, what's been that like? What what has that been like? <laughs> well, I've been. <laughs> I launched it. <laughs> I launched it, and it's kind of sitting there. It's a bit like my letterpress that I bought a year ago as well. Um, <laughs> You know, there it's it's there, and I've got I've you know I am doing work behind the scenes that I really want to kind of keep adding to that, and we're talking about my website, Alex Herbert. But um, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's just there for me when I have the time. But yeah, I've been I've been quite busy just these last couple of months doing what you said this big event organizing and working on different food consultancy programs. So unfortunately, the paid work seems to always take priority over the the stuff that you might want to do more but you need to make sure you can pay the bills um but yeah no it's something that I really really am passionate about and um you know want to do more but it's not just it's really not just about the recipes I mean I think my thing that holds me back is really it's just another recipe you know how many more recipes does the world need so I think what is kind of taking me a little bit long to get to is the whole thing about, well, it's all the other stuff. It's the stories and whatever. Um, and, you know, I don't really consider myself a writer, so that probably holds me back as well. It's like, who cares what Alex has got to say, or, you know. But, you know, I kind of want to do it even if just for my own sake, just to, you know, um, relive <laughs> the glory days. <laughs> well, well we, we love what you have to say. That's why we've got you on the crackling. <laughs> Well, Alex, as always, it's an absolute uh, honour to catch up with you. Um, look forward to seeing what these events are as they unfold and um, and hearing from you again. Uh, we've loved having you on The Crackling. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. No worries. Thanks, Huck. Bye. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.